1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, if you please turn to that, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 in our first message here, our New Year's message for 2019. Let's first of all look to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, here we are. We're your children, Lord. We're your students tonight. We're all seated here waiting on you to teach us, Lord. Teach us through your word. Teach us through me. Teach us through the hymns, Lord, tonight, What you'd have us to learn in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. And other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear." Now, just jump down to verse 18 where we get the interpretation. Verse 18, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed in a stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and a nun with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Okay, now it's it's our first New Year's message here. This is the first parable that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke. As you can see, as you know, this was a description of something of common everyday life. Everybody knew about this. They knew about sowers. They knew about the casting of the seed. They knew about the shoulder strap bag, the broadcasting of the seed all over. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew about the high hopes of the sower. Everybody knew about their disappointments, the frustrations that the sower had, and everybody knew about the four types of soil that the seed fell into. They knew about the seed that fell into the ground that was trodden down. The seed had no chance of taking root. They knew about the birds that came and ate the seed, and again, the seed had no chance they knew about the seed that fell into rocky ground. This was familiar territory for them because they knew about that thin la- layer of soil that was over the rocks and the stones that looked like it was going to be good for the seed. Looked like there was going to be a harvest because you couldn't see under the thin layer of the soil where the rocks and the stones were and it blocked the roots from taking from block the seed roots from taking taking hold. And they knew about the thorny ground. They knew about the thorny ground where the soil was contaminated with the thorn roots, the thorn seeds, and the seed, again, appears like, oh, it's going to be good. This time there's going to be fruit that's going to be, it's going to really take hold here, and it doesn't. And they knew about that frustration, and they knew about some of the seed, fortunately, comes onto the ground that wasn't the hard path ground that was broken up. It wasn't rocky, and it was good ground. It was free of the thorns, and it brought forth the fruit. They ever knew about these things. So when the Lord Jesus told this parable, there were some, for sure, that sat back and said, so? You know, he tells us, tells us about the, the, the sower and the seed, and he said, so? And that's what happens to seed's. And if that's all they got from what he said, they lost. They lost. Because verse 3 tells us that he was speaking many things to them like this, in this manner, in parables. In other words, he was, and then he, when he went on to say, he that hath ears, let him hear. He's not talking about physical ears. He's speaking to special ears, ears that heard more than just a description of the common everyday life on the surface just imagine the scene. Let's put ourselves in the scene. Here we are. We're there in, in verse 2 where it says there's a great multitude that's gathered together, So, and he goes into a ship. He sits down, and the multitude stands. They're standing, kind of the opposite of the way it is right now. I should be sitting. You should be standing, right? That's the way it was then. So here he is. He's left the house. And now he's sitting by the seashore. Word is spreading the region in the region. He's there. He's there. Come see. Let's go. Let's go hear him. He's the one that John the Baptist was talking about. And so they come. And to better address the crowd, he gets up. He steps into a boat. He sits down. The great crowd is standing. They want to hear. And they're hearing, and they say, well, what's he going to say? Imagine the, the anticipation that's in the air. They're thinking, oh, he's going to tell us that now is the time when the kingdom's going to be restored back to Israel. That's what was asked in the first chapter of John. There was a, is this the time now when, when the Romans are going to be overthrown? Is this going to be like the Maccabees who overthrew the Greeks? And so the festival of Hanukkah, which we just celebrated, it's going to be like that? Is that what's going to happen here? Or is he going to do some miracles? We can see that. Or is he going to open to us some mysterious passage of Scripture that we never were able to understand? Or is he going to just come right out and say that he is the long-awaited Messiah? So all the crowd, they're they're anxiously waiting there. And he speaks, and, and they're all listening. And, and he says in verse 3, behold, behold. He says, behold, a sower went forth to sow. I mean, when you say behold, it's like, now listen to this, sir. This is really important. And he says, okay, this is really important. And he gives this description we just read. And you can imagine people are saying, what? Is this the great teacher? This Is what we came out to hear? Is this the great wisdom that everyone has made such a big deal over? He's talking about a sower went out to sow. And so what became obvious here, from what he was saying here is that you, you had to listen very carefully and you had to think through what he was saying, and you had to picture the scene and you had to get to, you had to let yourself be directed to what part of the picture that it was important to be directed to. And he first of all, he describes, he says in verse four, that when the sower sowed that it fell, some f- fell there on the road, and fowls, the birds came and devoured it up. He uses the word fell. So it right away gives the picture, picture here of this indiscriminate throwing out of the seed. It just falls all over. It's not the way we plant. We plant, we dig a hole, we put the seed in, put the dirt, and we crowd and we go. That's not the way it was. It was just this casting of, a, of, the, of the seed there, throwing the seed. Unfortunately, it, this is the first case. Falls there on the road, and the birds are, are right there. Now, it doesn't leave us to wonder About the birds, he says, I want you to focus on the birds. Focus on the birds. The fowls came and devoured them up. So he's painting this picture of these birds that have come. And it's not like, you know, the birds are just flying out there. It's like, oh, look, what, what, look at there's some, some, some seed. What a feast is right here in front of us. Let's go down there and eat that seed. No, it wasn't that way. What, what, look at there's some, some, some seed. What a feast is right here in front of us. Let's go down there and eat that seed. No, it wasn't that way. And the people knew this. I mean, birds are smart. And and they track, you know, it, it reminds me, of, uh, uh, in Loreto in Baja, California, they have, uh, there's these, I've never seen so many, what are those birds? Vultures, you know, I never saw. Some flocks, big flocks of vultures, you know, with wi- big wingspans. They're flying around us. Is that a bad sign? They're flying over me, you know. <laughs> anyway. I just get so amazed to look at these vultures. You know, there's so many of them. So I finally found out why there are so many vultures. And the reason is, is because they have a rule in Mexico, and the Mexican government, that you are not allowed to fillet your fish at sea. You can't fillet your fish on a boat because they don't want the fish heads and the carcasses to get thrown into the sea. And when you do fillet your fish, you know, Loretto this area is a big fishing area. When you do fillet your fish, you're not allowed to throw the heads and the carcasses back into the sea. You have to fillet your fish on land, and you can't dispose of it at sea. Why? I don't know why. You have to ask somebody. I don't know why. But anyway, that's the rule, and it's pretty strict because if you don't obey the rule, then the, it says the government will give you a fine, they'll take your fishing gear away, and they'll take your boat away. Apart from that, it's not a problem. So nobody fillets their fish, and no one dumps the heads in the carcasses of the fish at sea. So what's done is they take the heads and they take the carcasses, load them up in the, tr- in the truck, and then they drive inland, and they dump them inland, and then the- these big flocks of vultures, they have a feast out there. That's what happens. So the, Mex- so the vultures, they really appreciate this Mexican law. They probably voted for it. <laughs> anyway, so, but, but what's interesting about these vultures, is that it, what's very really fascinating about them is that they've gotten to know the vehicles of the fishermen. So when those vehicles start heading inland, those vultures start circling over the vehicle and they're just waiting because they, they've gotten that way. So those vultures track the vehicles. Well, in the same way, everybody could picture these birds in verse 6, that when these birds saw the sower come out with, with the seed, they might be circling around them, just waiting for that seed to fall, you know, on the hard ground, and that would be their opportunity. And you can imagine the frustration of the sower with these birds. That they're his enemies, and everything that he's doing, the birds are seeking to undo. And those birds are just waiting. They're just waiting there. And so the, the sower, he, you know, he doesn't want to waste his time. So he goes back, he thinks, he reviews you know, the road, the, the seed, it's gone and everything. And he says, what went wrong? Why didn't it germinate? And the answer was no soil. There was, no, there was soil, but it was hard packed. Well, so th- that's what happened. But fortunately, all of his seed didn't fall on the road. And in fact, and it fell into what's described in verse 5, stony places where they had not much earth. That means the thin layer of earth on the top. And they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. Now, that's the important description. Now, the sower, he can't see those stones. He can't see those rocks underneath the surface there. All he sees is the the not much earth, the thin layer of soil that's there. And so he's encouraged. He thinks, oh, good. And he sees his his, his seed fall there, and he's happy. But then it says in verse 5, forthwith, in other words, just a little bit long later, it, then he sees that's unusual. That plant has really just bounced out of the ground. It seems like it, it, it's very happy. He's, oh, that's great! You know, it, it grows so fast. It must be really gonna make a lot of fruit. But it, but he doesn't know that it's not. Be, it's because there's no real soil for it to grab hold of down there. And then comes the sun, the Middle East sun, the dry sun. It's terrible. The, in Ethiopia, we experience this called the mistral. The mistral that will come out over, it gets all heated up as it travels over the Sahara Desert, and by the time it hits in Ethiopia, oh, it'll dry anything up. I used to wear goggles, you know, goggles just to keep your eyes from drying out. A very hot wind. So, the, so when this comes to the plants there, they dry up. They wither away. And then he goes to you know investigate, pull the plants up, whatever, and he says, "Oh, that's the reason why." Here's the stones, and he understands what happened. And so you know he gets, and so that's another heartbreak for the for the sower. It was so hopeful. Well, he's had two disappointments now. And so, you know, you might think well, he's going to give up here, you know, so it's really hard to endure all this. But he moves on and he sees what happened to the seed and he comes to the third place in, in verse 7 where it talks about some seed fell among the thorns and then the thorns spring up and choke them. Here again, he's got big hopes, he remembers the seed on the ground, it looks so good, and the stones were there, and so forth and so on. So, but he's, so again, when he sees these thorns grow up and they choke it, they go around, he's very disappointed, highly disappointed, and he understands this. And so he sees the thorns are aggressive, they're very aggressive. And so they send out runners that intertwine the plant there, you've all seen that. Ever, I Have mean, you ever seen a morning glory plant? You ever seen a morning glory plant? Oh, don't ever plant a morning glory plant anywhere because the reason they call it morning glory is because it grows so fast in the morning that when you look at it, you say, oh, glory. You know, anyway, it's terrible morning glory plants, I tell you, very per- pervasive, they go everywhere. So anyway, it's very discouraging. But fortunately for the sower, the sower found that some of his seed falls on good ground in, in verse 8. The good ground, now, the good ground, it's not hard packed. The good ground, it doesn't have stones. The good ground, it doesn't have the, the thorns in it. You know, this reminds me, though, when we moved to our house in 1987, and, we, you know, that's when I told you we were liberated from the goat ranch. We lived on the goat ranch for 10 years and so Anyway, then we became civilized. And so we moved into civilization in 1987. And my wife, you know, wanted something we never could have. She wanted a rose garden. Why couldn't we have it? Because we had 300 goats that lived so close around us. We had the smartest goats. Everything that she tried to plant in Lakeside up there on Willow Road, we wake up in the morning, it was all eaten. And yet all the goats were still in the pen. So we wondered, what's going on, you know? So one night I decided I'm going to stay up all night. And, and I'm going to see what happened. And so I stayed up, and there was one goat. Which she had a name. Her name was Keish Lorraine. And so Keish Lorraine, I'm oh, kidding. I should have taken a film of this. It could have been on National Geographic. But Keish Lorraine, she, She. as soon as it was, about, I think it was like 2 in the morning, I was watching her, and she walked over the gate, and she unlatched the gate and moved the latch over and the goats went out and ate up all the, the flowers and everything that my wife planted. Then they all went back into the pen, and she latched the gate. <laughs> anyway, we knew that, you know, roses were just not going to be in our, in our destiny for lakeside. But so when we got to our house up there in, in El Cajon, and she said, I want a rose garden. And she said, picks up this area. It's about 10 by 20 feet. And, she said, you know, you, and so you got to prepare the ground. Now, on the property, I told you about the morning glory. There's another one that's just as bad. It's called the asparagus fern. Anybody ever seen an asparagus fern? This ought to be banned by the International Association of Plants if there is such a place. This thing is very invasive and you can't stop it, and it takes over, and it grows around, and it chokes, and it, it's awful. Well, there was some asparagus fern in this ground, and so that was my job, to get rid of the asparagus fern, the roots of the asparagus fern, see? So, uh, you know, I thought, okay, no problem, I can do that, you know? So, so I got a shovel, and, and I said, okay, I'm going to dig down three feet in this area here, and then I build a box, you know, two feet by two feet, with a wire mesh, thin wire mesh on the bottom, and you know, I uh, dig the, put a shovel full of dirt in there, and screed it, you know, back and forth. The dirt falls through the asparagus fern; it's caught, and rocks were caught. I think that was the hardest job I ever did. I don't know what it is about soil; it's extremely heavy, and. I don't know what it is about three foot down by a 10 by 20, but I felt like I was in World War I digging trenches, you know, for the gas attack or something like that. It was very, very hard. I mean, it was a monumental job. And I did it. And I finally got it done. And I tell you, that ground was absolutely clean and clear of all rocks and asparagus fern. And that ground Still to this day, over 30 years ago, it grows beautiful roses. 32 years, it's still growing beautiful roses, all because they did all that work, you know. So anyways, still. Well, that's what good ground is. You know, good ground is not just there. Good ground is prepared ground. It's ground that, first of all, you, you have to turn it up the ground. You have to upset it. You have to take the bottom and put it on the top and the top and put it on the bottom. And it's got to be broken up. And it's got to be, whether it goes through a street or it goes through a rake, the clods have to be broken up. You know what these things are They when when they harrow the land, you know, if you're in the farm, you know what I'm talking about, harrow. You know, till, disc, harrow, there you go, things in there. Yeah, anyway. So um, I don't know. I, I was raised in Los Angeles. So I thought tomatoes grew on trees, but, you know, I've come to find out. All right, so anyway, so this is the thing about good ground. It's broken up, and it also has the, the the contaminating seeds removed from it. That's what good ground is. So when it talks about, in verse 8, others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, that is a tremendous harvest. First of all, it makes us think of Isaac in Genesis 26, 12. Genesis 26, 12, where it says, Isaac sowed in the land and received the same year a hundredfold. The good ground was prepared ground. It reminds me of the farmers in Ethiopia next to our compound there I used to sit up on the wall and watch them and they would use the the plow as you said, you know, and the in the ox. And they would plow this way, and then they would plow that way, and the ground was all broken, and then they would send the women out because the women do all the work. And the women would go out bent over for the whole day and just go inspect everything through the dirt, trying to pick out this, pick out that, whatever there might be, a root that shouldn't be in there and so forth. Closely looked over. Good ground does not just happen. Good ground is prepared ground. And this is what the Lord said as he was standing there in this, as he was sitting there in the boat and the great crowds in front of him and he's describing the this, this, this sower, the seed, the four grounds. There's a lot of drama in this and, and, and all the eyes are fixed on him as he describes this, this situation. He says, yeah, and? And everybody's waiting for the tie and everybody's waiting for the description. Everybody's waiting for what does this have to do with me? What is the deeper meaning? And then he says in verse 9, he that hath ears, let him hear. No one knew what the deeper meaning was. But the key to the deeper meaning is when he said, he that hath ears, let him hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. The key is he repeated this word twice in verse 9. Hear. It's all about hearing. The parable the sower and the sea is all about hearing. Even the disciples, they didn't get the message. And he was surprised. It says in Mark 4.10, in Mark 4.10, that when he was alone with them, they came up to him and they said, you gotta tell us what this means. What did you just, what is the meaning of the parable you just talked about, the sower? What is it? And then he, he explained to them in Mark 4.11, he says, to you it's given to know these mysteries. And then he, he said, um, if you don't know this parable, how are you gonna know all parables? You can't start unless you know this parable. How's that gonna be possible for you? And then he explained, and he said in Mark, he said, he said, the sower, verse 13 is what I was quoting there. He said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how will you know all parables? He goes on, Mark 4, 14, 414. The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard Satan cometh immediately and taketh the word that was sown out of their hearts. And those that are sown on stony ground, they they've heard the word and immediately they receive it with gladness, they have no root in themselves, and they endure for a time, but when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are those that sown among thorns, they hear the word but The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And then he said, those that are sown on good
1: ground, they hear the word, receive it, bring forth the fruit. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God.